Welcome to BST Talk number 215. It's Wednesday, May 23rd, 2012. I have another interview from BST Can in Ottawa, Canada. So here it is. So I'm here actually with a couple people from the NetBSD project. Uh, maybe I'll let you each introduce yourselves in turn and tell us a little bit about how you got involved in NetBSD. So we'll start over here. Hi, I'm David Maxwell, and uh, I was security officer for five years, and I was on the board a couple of years ago of the foundation, and uh, haven't been as actively involved of late, but uh, excited by some of the things that I see coming up in uh, release 6.0. Hello, I'm Julio Marino. I started, I joined the project more than 10 years ago already, and I started like porting GNOME 2 to NetBSD. I was a maintainer for a few years, and then I, got, I wrote TempFS, and then I wrote ATF, and these days, I'm not that involved in the project. I'm working on an ATF replacement kind of a set from NetBSD, and I'm in the NetBSD board at the moment. Hi, I'm Brett Lim. I joined NetBSD sort of last millennium sometime. Uh, I initially came in working on curses, uh, improving that, bring it up to date. Done some kernel modifications, other bits and pieces around the, around the place. Still contributing when I can. Yes. All right, and so you know, as we mentioned, uh, six is hopefully coming out soon. We're on the five series now. Uh, you know, rather than just read the release notes, which people can find on the netbsd.org website, I thought it might be nice to ask each of you areas that, that you find particularly interesting, or areas you know that, that you're working on, uh, and why why it's meaningful to you. Well, a lot of the things that have been uh, in current for a while now but are only going to be making it into the release with 6 include a lot of the work on runnable metaprograms, which is very uh, enjoyable from a developer's perspective because you can work on kernel code but test it in user land. And that makes it a lot easier to do your debugging without having a crash the kernel, you know, reboot FSCK cycle. And... Um, Anti-Canty has been doing uh, a lot of work in that area, and uh, a lot of that has gone into uh, six. And he's also driven a lot of changes that you know made that more doable, like the uh, the new kernel module system that replaced the old LKMs. So those are those are some of the things that I think are really interesting from a technical perspective. I go first. Might steal your thunder. Uh, well. Some of the some of the interesting things. I mean, we've we've got the 64-bit time type, which means that we are f- future-proofing NetBSD. So, so that 2036 20, or 2038 problem. Yeah. We we sort of got in there early in trying to trying to avoid that. And I think that there hasn't been too much fallout with that. Uh, haven't noticed anything myself. So that's that's really good that we've got that. Um, not sure how many how many other projects have have made that transition, but that's that's one of them. The automated testing that's gone into to six is is good. That we can try and improve the quality by the continual testing of the of at least part of, parts of NetBSD. Um, works ongoing for trying to get as much as we can 
into into that framework to try and improve the quality, which is it's going to be better for the users. Yeah, I'm really proud of that part. I mean, I started this project, the testing in NetBSD to improve it, yeah. and then it was Anti actually who pushed for having a new policy and have us run the test and make developers run the test and evaluate the code, having the ability to revert the changes. And yeah, it's very it, interesting that that made progress, and now I have all these automated systems that build this, this, the the code every day. Not just build, code. though. Not just build, but also run through the yeah. install and then run the tests on the on the <coughs> that built machine. So that's all automated. So it's just automatic, right from from base blank machine to to a running NetBSD. This all gets checked mm-hmm. automatically, and the problems that that come up in that get get raised and fixed. That makes it easier for the developers because they know about the problems up front. Uh, there's a shorter commit window, so it's really a case of, hi, oh, you guys, you committed this stuff, we think something in there is broken, and usually it's only uh, a couple of dozen files or something like that, so it makes it a lot easier than two months down the track, and it's sort of, whoa... Yeah, this is the first. Well, just want to uh, clarify that NetBSD five already had ATF and some tests, but this is a really the first release where we have changed the policy mm. and did all these things. So we should hopefully see a shorter period to stabilize the current beta for mm. to to create the release. Thanks to this. Mm. What is the general release cycle? Is it time based or just feature based? It it has really historically been feature based. We've never stuck to a strict time based schedule. There have been time-oriented targets in the past, but we usually have a a sense of what things absolutely have to be in the next release, and we'll hold it up for as long as it takes for it to be solid. Um, I honestly don't remember a major NetBSD release that has been extraordinarily bad in terms of uh, regressions or, or problems for users. You know, obviously some have been, you know, much better than others, mm. but uh, but I don't recall having a, a bad experience. Relang does a really good job. But in this case, I would say that time pressure kind of played a role in starting doing the six release because it has been already two years since NetBSD five. Yeah, a long time, and we haven't even started. So this time, it was really we should do it. Even yeah. the only feature that we waited for and we didn't mention before was the Zen support. Sorry, Zen. Oh, well, yeah, I think it did send DOM 0 already. Yes, but now it's send version, version 4. We have uh, multiprocessor support for DOM use. We have sleep, sorry, suspend and resume support. It's much more improved than what we had before. Yeah. Together and together with LVM, which you've been playing with. but Yeah, I've, I've had a, a quick play with that. That was a Google Summer of Code to actually get the basic LVM ported from, from Linux. So you can actually... Uh, take a uh, LVMs from from a Linux machine, do the standard VG change, uh, VG scan, VG change commands. NetBSD recognizes them. You can actually mount those file systems uh, as ext to fs if the mm-hmm. if that's what they are. Uh, pretty much, it just works. And that was uh, Google Summer of Code for. Is a good read write support for ext two or just yes. mostly read? Oh. What I find interesting is that LVM together with Zen, which can be a very nice platform for virtualization. Yeah. yeah you see that with the Linux KVM folks. There's always a, a recommendation of LVM. What, I think rather than storing your image 
on, on a file system. It's on a separate raw LVM. Just just not to oversell the LVM, we haven't got all the all the LVM features, but pretty much it's the concatenation. I, I think that uh, that our LVM's got, but managing volume groups and all that sort of stuff is there. So basically, if you if you want to grow the the volume and that sort of stuff, that should work. I think. Was the yeah. intent to import LVM to read or to import uh, Linux volumes or to actually use this as your primary logical volume manager for NetBSD? People have wanted logical volume management for some time. We've always had a lot of, uh, like we had the CCD um, driver yep. and we had RAID frame and we, we had VNDs. We had Venom as well. But Venom, that, yeah. So, so there were lots of different ways of managing your storage and they each had certain advantages, but uh, LVM has a, a kind of flexibility that solves certain problems that none of those other ones do. And also the user base as well. There's commands that feel familiar to, to the Linux crowd, so it's, it, it had its advantages to, to having it there. Is this a sort of clean room, newly licensed re-implementation, or is it an import of code? Both. Ah. Basically, the um, kernel land, because of the of the, of the licensing needed to be re-implemented. The kernel to use land interface was totally is totally different, but there's a compatibility layer in user land so that the standard Linux tools can talk to that layer and then the kernel does the right thing. So the user land stuff is pretty much Linux import. The kernel was a, um, a rewrite. And is the Zen, I'm trying to remember, I think Amazon's Zen implementation is actually an older one, right? So I guess yours isn't at this point compatible. Or? It, no, we are, we are compatible. I'm not clear on the details um, because I know there was an issue where they required an older version of Zen and we didn't have support. We, we did have support for that version, but it wasn't compatible with the way that they were running. Um, and now I know that, uh, that we are running on Amazon. So I, I'm not sure if we still have the uniprocessor limitation. SMP was a, an issue there for a while. Yeah, playing with it. There's a wiki page that's being kept up to date, and it has instructions on how to run. And I think it should work, and the multiprocessor support is being tried. And I think it works, but it's not very stable yet. Yeah. And when do you decide, or why do you decide, to jump from a 5 release to a 6? What, is there something significant why this wasn't 5 dot something else? The, so really what starts happening is as soon as we cut a, a major release branch, people start doing development on the, the head of the, the version control tree, and they start putting in major new features. So just uh, anybody who's doing driver development, for example, there's over 45 new drivers plus support for a lot of new hardware and existing drivers uh, that are in 6 that weren't in 5. And that work started going onto the head of the tree basically right after 5 was released, and then you'll get some people who will backport those into the, the five branch, and so they'll come out in the maintenance releases. Um, usually that's based on demand. You know, the more people that ask for a particular driver and uh, somebody has the time and inclination to do it, that happens. I wish it happened more, though. Mm-hmm. And it could and should be backported to the stable releases so they stay relevant for longer. Because most people don't care about current. They just want to know... So that you want to run the stable release hmm. on modern hardware. But today, if you want to run, a, I don't know, NetBSD on a new laptop, 
and all the release will not work because all the drivers that are up to date are in current. I think, I think it'll yep. be a lot easier for people to do that going forward because mm-hmm. with the new kernel module system, yes. it will be a lot <coughs> easier for people to test things and, and backport them. You know, when it involved building a whole kernel and, and then doing your testing versus just loading a module. So that's my hope anyway. Mm-hmm. And NetBSD is known for supporting a lot of different architectures. And what does that mean f- from the compiler world in the sense that there's a lot of additional compilers that a lot of people are getting excited about? And is that something NetBSD can take advantage of? It's tricky, right? It's, it's, it's tricky. So uh, NetBSD did a lot of work a number of years back to create a build system that lets you have a single command and build any of the target architectures. So we use that in our automated build environment where we do our, our regression testing and our builds for distribution. And uh, it will you know, use a nice, fast AMD64 machine with lots of RAM and build all of the, the target architectures. A lot of the alternative compilers only support a subset of those architectures. So we have been working on cleaning up the build systems so that you can use Clang and you can use PCC, but uh, obviously only on the the architectures that those compilers support. But I think they're growing more more architectures. Well, there's that, that we're getting closer to to be able to do that. There's, there's a lot of energy behind Clang. Mm. You know, there's a, a lot of uh, commercial support and support in other open source projects that are going to drive it forward quite a bit. Mm. And I'm sure the three of you aren't a representative sample necessarily of the overall user base, but do any of you run any odd architectures, or are you mostly i386 and AMD64? I, I had an objective at one point of owning every architecture that NetBSD ran on. <clears throat> and um, I, <laughs> I decided a couple of years ago that I had to downsize my uh, inventory a little bit, and so I got rid of quite a few. But uh, I still have um, kept one of many of them. Mm. Mm. Not me, unfortunately. I just have... These days, mostly I just run NetBSD virtual machines. Even my uh, home servers are virtual machines, but I still have a PowerPC and a Shark, of which I have NetBSD installed. Yeah. I'm reliably told that I, I have too many computers, so it's, uh, there's, there's the um, Minister of Internal Affairs that, that regulates the, the number of machines I have. I, I do have a Spark stuck, tucked away, but uh, to be honest, I, I, I don't know the last time I booted that, but mostly I'm, I'm just stuck on AMD64. So. You know, even for the people who just run i386 or AMD64, the cleanliness of the code that's come out of having to make it build for that many different architectures still gives them a benefit, which I think is a question that I hear an awful lot. If if I'm not going to run some of the esoteric architectures, why would I use NetBSD? And it's because the code is cleaner as a result of doing all that. Hmm. But it also means that we have an awful lot of corporations that do embedded development and use NetBSD you know, for their base because we already have a compiler that supports that CPU. We already have support for most of the buses they're using and many of the chipsets and the device drivers. And, and as you mentioned, the cross-build as, as well, because they, they can target the, target the architecture on a faster machine get their development cycles up. So that, that's a big advantage to them as well. Yeah. I think one thing that's worth mentioning here is that another thing new in NetBSD 6 is support for MIP64. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's quite important for the embedded world, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also all the regression testing that we have 
the one of the advantages that we, we have over other systems is that you have one of these rare architectures. You can install a BSD and right after installation, actually it's part, it's part of the recommended installation procedure, you can go and run all the tests on this new machine for your own confidence to make sure that the new release works on your rare mm. hardware. And if it doesn't, then you have a very clear list of things that are broken, and you go to the developers and tell them, hey, please fix these things, hmm. which is a much better situation than in the past. You don't have to ship it and let the customers find yeah, the little yeah. things that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's one of the aims of the testing, to, to try and avoid that, because that's, that's always difficult, especially if the, the person that's reporting it may not have the same technical skills, and it's sometimes very difficult to get the debug information out of them. If we if we manage to manage to catch that in the testing, then then so much the better. But even then, I mean, we are clearly we don't have all the resources to test NetBSD on all the platform support with all the machine types that mm, exist. Absolutely. Yeah. So we can do as best as we can in the few platforms we have, but for the rare cases, we we'll have to rely on what the users yeah. tell us. Yeah. But I mean, still, they have a chance to see it now. Yeah. It's. At the end of the day, it still is community-based project, so we need the need the people to to run the code. It's it's about the community as well. Yeah, actually, community brings another thing to mind, which is uh, many of the things that have gone into six uh, since five have been results of uh, Google Summer of Code projects. Yes, yes, we've we've had quite a, a few successful Google Summer of Codes. The the LVM. Stuff is uh, was a Google Summer of Code. Uh, gee, I can't remember all the other ones that, that have been done. The uh, boot over HTTP is yeah. Uh, is in there. Some of the syslog improvements were this year. Or, so um, the danger of listing year, them is you have the yeah, danger of the one that you we'll leave. Yeah, we'll leave somebody yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's many more. There, there, many yeah, more. There, <laughs> there have been quite a quite a few good Summer of Codes and and. Yeah, Google's been really good in, in supporting us in, in that, giving us the opportunity to get students in, maybe make them developers even, and, um, and actually get some good code, which has been excellent. We've talked a little bit, or at least said the word embedded a few times, and that's, I guess you'd call it scaling down. How is NetBSD doing in the opposite direction, scaling up? Um, in 6, there is support for... AMD 64 on up to 256 cores. Um, maybe that's in current. I thought that it was in six, but it's. I thought, uh, well, I thought we were still 32 cores. So. No, I've seen I've seen the commit messages for that. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know if that made it into six. Okay. Regardless, I'm six sure. is much more improved in the multiprocessor support. Yes, you have a lot of improvement in the kernel locking and the structures and yeah. stuff. I, I I can't remember whether whether the multiprocessor changes made it into five or, or if they're, they're six. I, I can't remember. We, we do have a at least partially um, threaded kernel. Yes. Finer grained locks in the kernel. Parts of it are uh, no longer under a big kernel lock. So we've, we've had improvements in in the multiprocessor support that was that was done by uh, Andrew Doran. Uh, Andrew Doran as that was uh, paid work as well. That was uh, mm-hmm. he was sponsored to do that by NetBSD Foundation. Uh, so that's that's pretty big. FreeBSD's had that for a while, but uh, we're that's true. It's getting there. It's relatively new for TNF, but yeah. uh, I guess where we've seen 
that there are some projects that require a focused effort over time. Um, you really can't count on a developer having enough spare time to do it. Um, that's where the uh, the foundation has stepped in and said, we'll actually put uh, a bounty on this or accept proposals for somebody who wants to uh, to do a major piece of work. Actually, the Shen multiprocess support was paid work as well. Mm -hmm. And it just, get it. It just went into the tree like a couple of months ago, just in time for the release. Mm. Oh, thread, thread local storage is in 6 as well. Mm -hmm. um, and the... Uh, and the loadable uh, multiple IP stacks run, running in user space. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, the list is kind of long, as you say. You can mm -hmm. read the release notes. Yeah. Most things are for developers, though. But I'm pretty sure most developers would really enjoy coding for NetBSD if they knew mm. all these cool features that we have. Yeah. There, yeah, there's all kinds of things on the back end, new, new utility data structures mm -hmm. and, and better ways to um, clean up an architecture code. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I, I don't know whether we've hit, hit the highlights here of, of what's exciting you about the, the next release of NetBSD. Um, I, you know, I haven't had as much time in my life due to being way too busy to try a lot of different ones, and uh, you know, I've always found NetBSD be, to be you know, fun and straightforward to use. I'm not doing anything particularly uh, crazy with it or doing embedded work, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, hopefully the 6 will be another one for me to try. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks. Comments. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for taking some time out of the conference, and Thank you. Yeah. All right, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 215.